good to be with you again today and to talk about our Constitution because that's what this is all about. And uh, the problem is the assault on the Constitution continues. It continues to be ramped up, not just at the federal level by Obama and his minions, but at the state levels and local levels. It's even happening in the red states, and that, that's making it really terrifying at this point. Uh, take, for example, what's happening in Houston, Texas. Uh, there's an all-out assault right now in this country. We know it on Christianity. There's an all-out assault on the churches. Uh, there's an all-out assault on uh, any groups that oppose abortion, for example, or oppose gay marriage, uh, or in favor of traditional values, uh, like marriage being between a man and a woman. The military has already essentially been purged of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Uh, if you don't agree with the, the policy of allowing gays in the military, if you don't agree with uh, gay marriage, if you're a chaplain in the military, you're not allowed to talk about that in a sermon. Uh, if you do, you could be court-martialed and thrown out of the Army. If you're an individual in the military and you want to do something like keep a Bible on your desk at your work area space, you can't do that. Uh, that is illegal. In fact, if you keep a book that's written by Sean Handy or Rush Limbaugh on your desk, you're liable to get in trouble for that, too. So but in Houston, they've notched everything up a level. The mayor of Houston, who is a lesbian, and, of course, obviously in favor of gay rights, uh, she has gotten through the city council an ordinance that basically says transgenders can use any restroom they want. They're not limited if they're a man. They like to dress up as a woman. Uh, they can use a woman's bathroom and vice versa. Now, imagine that you're a woman, a mother, and you have a six-year-old daughter, and you're taking her to a public restroom. And you go in there, and there's a man dressed up as a woman using that restroom. How do you explain that to your daughter? Why should your daughter be exposed to that? It's utterly absurd. There's no rational reason for that other than to pander to a few transgenders and gays in the community. And by the way, the, uh, I am so tired of hearing the number keep being thrown out that 10% of the population in this country is gay. The actual statistics, as gathered by an agency of the federal government, by the way, is that it's 2 to 3%. 2 to 3% are gay or bisexual. Yet they have this extraordinary power to bully their way into getting things done that provide them with so-called rights. Where in the Constitution... Does it say that a man has a right to use a woman's restroom? Where in the Constitution does it say that people do not have a right to believe in heterosexual marriage and refuse to conduct marriages or weddings for gay couples? There's nothing in the Constitution about any of this. The founding fathers never, never occurred to them to put something in the Constitution about any of this. So we have this all-out assault in Houston. They pass this ordinance. Well, 
some conservatives and some Christians sued to block the ordinance. The mayor responds by getting the city attorney, and initially she claims she didn't know anything about this, but that turns out to be a lie, of course. But the mayor gets the city attorney to subpoena the sermons and the notes about the sermons of five prominent pastors in the Houston area, all of who have come out and opposed this ordinance, but who are not parties of the lawsuit. Subpoenas are issued for their notes on their sermons, plus all their emails, plus all their correspondence with their parishioners or with anybody else that include any comment about gay marriage, any comment about homosexuality at all, any comment about the mayor, not necessarily about her sexuality, about her being gay, but if they say, you know, the mayor shouldn't be doing this. Or why is the mayor pushing these ordinances? Or this, she's a bad mayor. Well, that's being subpoenaed also. So basically, free speech is being shut down, or an attempt is being made to have it shut down, in the city of Houston. San Antonio, Texas, adopted an ordinance not long ago, which is still under litigation, as I, I, I believe, at this point, that said that if you oppose gay marriage or if you were a Christian who believed that homosexuality was a sin, that under those circumstances, and you would be asked these questions, if you applied for a job in the city, if you answered in the affirmative to those questions, that you believed that you opposed gay marriage, you could not work for the city, if you ran a company that was trying to do business with the city, you could not get a contract with the city to do business. And here's the kicker. You also could not run for public office in the city of San Antonio. In other words, you can't run for the city council. You can't run for mayor. You can't run for justice of the peace. You can't do any of that. Now, the Constitution of the United States specifically prohibits any religious test from being applied to anybody seeking public office specifically prohibits it. The city of San Antonio, and, and which is controlled by the leftists, just like the city of Houston, has gone ahead and passed this ordinance. Now, there are several groups working with the pastors around the Houston area. And I am, I am currently with the United States Justice Foundation. We're working with a pastor out in the San Antonio area, and we're looking at, at helping him because he's a, trying to organize a group of pastors around the state to oppose both of these ordinances. And um, he has a very good radio show, daily radio show, by the way, that I appear regularly on Monday mornings on his show. And uh, this is Pastor Greg Young. Uh, and and uh, you can look him up on the Internet and follow him because he talks about a lot of subjects that are very much interest to the people who listen to this show. But the bottom line is, is this a red state that this is happening in? This is not New York. I mean, it's, you know, I expect New York to pass similar ordinances any time. They already have their so-called hate crime ordinances. And by the way, that has always bothered me, the whole idea of charging somebody with a hate crime. If somebody commits a murder, 
It's a murder. It's probably a hate crime already, without the definition being used to include if it's a homosexual who's killed or if it's a white police officer that kills a black uh, perpetrator. All of these are, can be classified as hate crimes. They're extending this to include speech as being a hate crime. That's what these ordinances simply essentially do, that you are committing a hate crime for stating your religious beliefs, for exercising your right to free speech. This is unconscionable. We're going to be working to block this, to fight this. And if you want to help us in the fight, go to usjf.net and send us a donation, because we've got so many irons in the fire right now. And we're a small organization, but very effective. We've been doing this for 35 years, and we've been very successful defending the Constitution. And we have filed recently, just in the last couple of weeks, prepared and filed a brief in the United States Supreme Court on the Mount Soledad Cross, which, of course, was erected after World War One to honor the the veterans and the, to, as a memorial to those who died in World War One fighting for this country. It's since been broaden to include all veterans and all uh, the people that we've lost in various wars that we fought. And the left wants it taken down because it was on public land. It was on uh, park lands owned by the National Park Service. So the National Park Service, a few years back, sold that piece of property to the VFW, which was maintaining the cross. ACLU has sued, and other atheist groups have sued, to take that cross down. At one point, the cross was, in fact, destroyed by vandals, put back up again, and now the the atheist, and you talk about a hate group, I mean, there is a hate group. There, if you want to classify something as a hate crime, it's a hate crime by those people every time they go after Christians. Every time they they vandalize a cross or vandalize like the Ten Commandments, the guy recently did that. But if I'm over a set of Ten Commandments, I was in California on public display. The Ten Commandments are on display in the Supreme Court of the United States. They're the basis of our laws. So it's, why is it a hate crime or well, not a hate crime to destroy it? when it's on public display. It's part of our history. It's part of our heritage. But again, we look at what's happened in places like Idaho, Utah, states, again, that are red states. I believe it's Idaho where there are two pastors, a married couple, who have a wedding chapel and hold their weddings, and they have refused to marry a gay couple. They are facing, under a city ordinance, they are facing 180 days in jail every day that they refuse. It's not just 180 days in jail for the refusal, but for every day that they continue to refuse. 180 days in jail plus a $1,000 fine for every day. They essentially are being told, your beliefs don't matter. We don't care if you're a Christian. We don't care who you are what you believe, you believe what we want you to believe, you do what we want you to do, or we're going to put you in jail. You're going to be committing a crime. We have 
the well-known case of a family bakery, family-owned bakery that specialized in wedding cakes that essentially has been put out of business because they refused to do a wedding cake for a gay or lesbian couple. We have the situation in New York State where people who own a farm used to set up and host weddings and receptions in their barn. And a lot of people would utilize this. It was a way for them to make a little extra income. They refused to allow a lesbian couple to be married and hold reception in their barn, and they essentially have been fined $13,000 and put out of business. So the onslaught continues. Let's take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's web radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So this is happening in red states, some of it. Uh, And there's city councils out there who are out of control. There are state governments that are out of control. And we know that the federal government is totally out of control. Look at Eric Holder. Now, he's resigned as Attorney General, but he's still serving as Attorney General. And I'm not sure what's going on. Well, I know what's going on there. The the president is afraid that uh, uh, he is not going to be able to get anybody through the Senate before the election, which is obviously the case because the Senate is not even in session. Everybody's getting ready for the election next week. So the president is unable to appoint somebody to replace Eric Holder at this point. So he will try to do it during the lame duck Congress. And he will try to put in another left-wing attorney general who will do his bidding. And we can expect this to be done during the lame duck session because if, in fact, the Republicans take control of the Senate, Eric, uh, the president will know he will not get somebody like that he wants 
a left, far left winger who doesn't believe in the Constitution, you won't get somebody like that as the chief law enforcement officer in this country. So that's what he's got in his mind is to do it in the lame duck session. What's going to happen in the election? Well, we don't endorse candidates in the United States Justice Foundation. Uh, we don't get involved in endorsing candidates. I don't know how what the outcome is going to be. I just want people in the United States Senate, regardless of their party affiliation, that believe in the Constitution and abide by the Constitution, that will live by that oath of office they take. Essentially the same oath that I took to become a member of the military, to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The president, the vice president, all members of the cabinet, all federal employees, for that matter, all members of the House and Senate take an oath that says they will preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. It is, in fact, and I mentioned this on the show before, it is, in fact, a violation of federal law to break that oath of office. If you do something to denigrate the Constitution or try to destroy it, you can go to jail for up to a year for each time you violate the oath, and you can be fined up to $10,000. Now think about how often that happens with our current president and our Speaker of the House, and Harry Reid, the head of the United States Senate, or our former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Although I'm not sure our current Speaker of the House always follows the oath of office either. But how often does that happen with the President? How often does it happen with Eric Holder? We have a lawless administration out there. We have an administration that does not believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in their oath of office. Every time President Obama issues an executive order which is designed to make laws, he is violating his oath of office because he's violating the Constitution. The Constitution was set up very carefully, and I explain this in my booklet, Our Constitution, which is the same name, of course, of the radio show. And you can go to www.constitution.jigsy.com to order copies of that booklet. Basically, in that booklet, I explain how the Constitution was set up and very carefully crafted to set up a balance of powers. You had founders of our country, the people who framed that Constitution. They had been through a bloody and long revolution. They were setting up a new form of government. They tried Articles of Confederation, which had been a failure. So they were setting up a new form of government, and they really had no idea if it was going to work. And their fear was that somehow it would become a tyrannical form of government, just like the one they had just fought in Great Britain to get free of. So they wanted to set up checks and balances. So they created three different branches of the federal government. The first branch, and what I think they considered the most important branch, was the legislative branch. That was the Congress, a Senate and originally the U.S. Senators were elected by the state legislatures, not by the people. That was changed by the 17th Amendment to the Constitution. And then they had the House of Representatives, and those people were, were elected by the people themselves who voted 
in their local districts in their states. The House of Representatives and the Senate. The task as defined in the Constitution for this Congress was to make the laws. And it's their limits on what they can do, which again are being ignored by most of our, our lawmakers. There were limits in the Constitution as to what laws they can make and what they can deal with. For example, health care is never mentioned in the Constitution. That's why I said from the beginning that Obamacare was unconstitutional, because health care has always been regulated by the states, and that's what it was meant to be. But then your second form of government, or your second branch of government, I should say, was the executive branch, and that was made up of the president and the vice president and the president's appointees, uh, cabinet heads and this sort of thing. But the balance to that was that the president was to not just appoint willy-nilly anybody he wanted. All of his appointments had to go be approved by the United States Senate, by a majority vote in the United States Senate. This has been the way it has been since the Constitution was written until now. Now we have the executive appointing czars, 45, well, 46 czars, if you count the new uh, invisible Ebola czar, and we'll talk more about that guy later. You know, where where is he? Uh, is he out on the golf course, or what, what's this guy doing? But anyway, Obama's appointed all these czars without approval by the Senate. Now, unless they decide that they're going to let the president do it, and that has to be by majority vote, then they cannot allow the president of the United States to appoint somebody without their approval. That's the way the Constitution is. That's the way it's set up. But nobody, and I've been a guest at this ever since Obama started doing this, nobody in the United States Senate had the guts to come forward and file a suit against the President of the United States saying, look, I am elected by the people of my state to fulfill my obligations under the Constitution. One of those obligations is to approve or disapprove of all presidential appointments. I have been denied my right to fulfill that obligation, and therefore my constituents are being denied their rights under the Constitution. I think if somebody filed that lawsuit, they would have won. I think the Supreme Court would have had no choice but to go along with what is obvious, and that is, is that these R's are being appointed without Senate approval. They're being given their own budgets, their own staff. Nobody controls them. The money for them is coming out of the president's so-called discretionary fund. Congress essentially has no oversight, which is required by the Constitution, no oversight of any of these czars. Nobody in the Senate did anything to fight it, which I am totally against. But the president is also limited by other parts of the Constitution. The president, for example, can sign treaties with foreign nations. 
those treaties have to be ratified by two-thirds of the Senate. So here we go again, the balance of powers. The Senate is supposed to ratify any treaties, and it requires a two-thirds majority of the Senate. Obama has had John Kerry sign the Small Arms Treaty, which essentially would outlaw private ownership of firearms in this country. It would destroy the Second Amendment. And he basically has his people in the Justice Department coming out and saying, you know what, we're going to reinterpret that part of the Constitution that requires a two-thirds majority ratify a treaty before the president can have that treaty enforced. What we're saying is that what the Constitution says isn't really true, is not what it really means. It doesn't mean that the president can't enforce a treaty. The president, according to them, can enforce a treaty without being ratified by the Senate. And then it's required that two-thirds of the Senate come in to block the treaty. That is not what the Constitution says. But that's what they're trying to say that it means. And they think they can use the Constitution or use treaties to destroy the amendments to the Constitution, to destroy the Bill of Rights, to destroy the very fabric of the Constitution. 1957, the United States Supreme Court ruled that no treaty, whether signed by the even say signed by the president and then ratified by the Senate, no treaty could supersede the constitutional protections of American citizens under the Bill of Rights. Yet Obama and Eric Holder have decided that they're going to ignore the United States Supreme Court, they're going to ignore the Constitution. The Constitution also says that the President of the United States' primary job is to enforce the laws passed by Congress. It doesn't say that he can make the laws on his own. It doesn't say he can decide which ones to enforce and which ones not to, which obviously Obama does all the time. He's refusing to enforce our immigration laws. He refused to uh, defend the Defense of Marriage Act. That's a violation of his oath of office. That's a violation of the Constitution. Then in addition, the president is not allowed to amend laws. That has to be done by Congress. What have we had now have now on Obamacare? The president has personally signed off on about 47 amendments to Obamacare, none of which have been approved by the Congress of the United States, none of which have even been submitted to the Congress of the United States. Again, the president is taking a step beyond, way beyond, what his powers are as president. And he continues to do this on a daily basis. The third branch of government set up was the judiciary branch. And that consisted under the Constitution of just one court, the United States Supreme Court. And it was primarily set up to settle disputes between states and to limit both the judiciary, or both the legislative branch, executive branch, to keep them from violating the Constitution. Of course, we know that the courts have gone way outside their jurisdiction. Congress has set up the lower courts, the district courts, the courts of appeal, 
in the federal system, and they have gone way out of line as far as what they are entitled to do. Let's take our second break now. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is Dr. George. Join me on Wednesday mornings from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock when we talk about more than medicine. It's now about staying healthy, but it's about the strategy to do so. Join me on Medicine on Call. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, I'm pointing out how carefully the Constitution of the United States was drawn up and what it means and how it's being perverted because that's that's the big problem here. We're losing our Constitution. Again, I'm going to plug my own little booklet here because I'm getting nothing but rave reviews about this booklet I've written. You know, there are a lot of of groups out there that will hand out pocket copies of the Constitution. And they're great. They're great to have with you. They're great to carry around. They're great to show people. But I take it one step further. I have prepared a booklet called Our Constitution where I take each article, each section of the Constitution, each amendment to the Constitution, and I put them in the way they were originally written. And then I add my comments about what they really mean. For example, I explain what the balance of powers mean. I explain how the Constitution was designed to limit the powers of the federal government and to maximize the powers of the, of the, and the rights of individuals and the states. I put in my booklet things like the preamble to the Bill of Rights, which most people don't even know exist. Now, old people like me, you know, I remember when I was in school, I had to learn the preamble to the Constitution. I had to memorize it. I had to stand in front of the class and recite it. I don't know if our children today still have to do that. I doubt it because I don't think they're being taught anything about the Constitution. Or if they're being taught about the Constitution, they're being taught that it's archaic, it's out of date, it should be scrapped, it should be thrown out, it should be reinterpreted. You know, all of the things that is a standard liberal liberal garbage on the Constitution. But the preamble to the Bill of Rights is very, very important. Because basically it is a warning 
through the federal government that's been created by the Constitution. It's a warning by the Founding Fathers saying that these rights enumerated herein in the Bill of Rights, which is comprised of the First Ten Commandments, First Ten Amendments to the Constitution, these rights enumerated therein, according to the preamble, are not given to the American people by the federal government. Because if we acknowledge that the federal government gives us rights, certain rights, then we're acknowledging that they can take them away. The preamble of the Bill of Rights says that is not the case, that these are inalienable rights, that these are rights that belong inherently to the American people, and they cannot be taken away from us by any branch of the federal government or a combination of any branches of the federal government, that they are our inalienable rights and they belong to us. Now, that's very, very important and very powerful because essentially that means that, and I agree with Mark Levine here because he, he came out with this originally, that they can't do anything, for like example, the Congress of the United States cannot have an up-and-down vote on anything to change the Second Amendment to the Constitution, which provides our right to keep and bear arms. Because the Second Amendment specifically says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon. How clear, much clearer can it be? Cannot be infringed upon. Shall not be infringed upon. Yet Congress continues to have votes on things like guns registration, betting assault weapons, uh, requiring background checks, all of these things that the Constitution prohibits. Now, here in Texas, in Denton, Texas, for example, again, we go back to Red State, children are being taught in school that the Second Amendment applies only to an organized state militia or to members of the National Guard. I've read this. This is in the, the study guide. Twice the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that that is not true, that the Second Amendment is an individual right. Yet our children are being taught that it's not. Gun control is just one avenue, or one area, where they're trying to infringe on our constitutional rights. And I point out things like in the First Amendment, and I've had a number of people tell me that they did not know this until they read my booklet, I point out that when it comes to the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, dealing with a religion and denying the federal government the right to establish a religion. And by the way, it is freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. But I point out that nowhere in the First Amendment or anywhere else in the Constitution is the phrase separation of church and state used. It's not there, folks. That phrase, and I point this out to, originated in a letter written by Thomas Jefferson when he was president of the United States because a religious group, a church, asked him, they were having an internal dispute, and they asked him to intervene and mediate for them. He refused. He said basically the federal government was not allowed under the Constitution to get involved in church disputes. 
that that would violate the idea of separation of church and state. And what he meant by separation of church and state, it's clear from this letter and clear from his other writings, he meant by separation of church and state, federal government stayed out of religion entirely. It didn't establish religion by the same token. It didn't prohibit religion, but it could encourage religion as long as it wasn't a specific religion. In other words, having in God we trust on our money, having monuments to the Ten Commandments does not violate the Constitution because it's not establishing a particular religion. He's just saying it's protecting our freedom of religion, our freedom to believe in God and to worship God as we see, for, see fit. That's what the Establishment Clause is all about. And I point that out in, in my booklet. Again, if you want to order copies of the booklet, you can order them online for $6 a piece for a $6 donation. And you can go to www.institution.com dot com, and you can order copies of the booklets there. You can also go to my website where my blog is, and that's Michael Connelly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot com, and you can order copies through there. Be sure and check about the discounts we give for multiple copies, because a lot of people are getting more than one copy. And many of them are getting more than 10 copies because they want to hand them out to schools, uh, children. We had a Rotary Club in South Texas a couple of years ago that bought 500 copies to hand out to all the incoming juniors uh, that were coming into the six different school districts. Copies were also given to the teachers who then used the booklets to help teach the Constitution because in Texas we have not just Constitution Day, we have Constitution Week, when the whole week is supposed to be devoted uh, by social studies teachers in Texas schools to teaching about the Constitution. And so these schools were using the booklet to do just that. You can carry that booklet around, booklet around with you. It's 77 pages, but it's a small booklet. It's pocket-sized. You can put it in your coat pocket. You can put it in your shirt pocket. You can carry it around in a handbag, and you could use it to point out to your friends and co-workers that, hey, this is what the Constitution actually says. This is what it means. You buy copies to give out to them. You know, we have the holidays coming out. These make great little stocking stuffers. I know a bunch of people ordered them last year just for that purpose, uh, to put them in the kids' stockings and give them to, to friends for Christmas. So I'm blowing my own horn here, but again, we've had such rave reviews on the booklet. It's now in its third printing, and uh, we're getting more and more orders coming in all the time for it. It goes back to what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the Constitution that's under attack. We're dealing with situations like gun owners. American gun owners are on the Department of Homeland Security watch list is potential domestic terrorist. So are people who believe in the right to life. So are America's veterans. Where are the jihadists? Where are the Islamic terrorists? Where are the potential people like the lone wolf who recently attacked four policemen 
in New York City with a hatchet simply because he's a jihadist. He wants to impose Sharia law on this country. Then we had the guy in Oklahoma who beheaded a grandmother and tried to kill other people. But we had, guess what? Guess how he was stopped? Somebody who believed in the Second Amendment and owned a firearm and was carrying a firearm stopped him. The owner of the, the meatpacking plant shot and killed, or shot and wounded, I should say, didn't kill him, the jihadist. Yet they want to disarm us, and they want to call us terrorists. Now, how are they doing this? Well, what are they doing is so far setting up the uh, ways to disarm us? Well, we got the Small Arms Treaty, which I've already discussed, which uh, Obama wants to enforce in this country, and would basically put all of our arms dealers out of business, put all our manufacturers out of business, uh, put the uh, manufacturer ammunition out of business, and essentially strip us of our right to keep and bear arms. You have a small arms treaty, but then you have the so-called fusion centers. Now, these were created after 9-11. And these fusion centers were created by the federal government to coordinate efforts to counter terrorists, potential terrorists, by state, local, and federal authorities. So that they would share information. So they would work together to try to protect America. And they could also be used to fight crime. Well, guess what? Reports that I have seen that are being issued by the federal government indicates that the primary purpose of these fusion centers now is not to combat terrorism, not to fight potential domestic terrorists, not to fight foreign terrorists, but to monitor people in this country who own firearms. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you believe that when you go and fill out that form to legally purchase a firearm, if you believe that the federal government is actually destroying that form and your information, as they are required to do by the law that set this up, if you really think they're doing that under the Obama administration, then i got a nice piece of waterlogged property in Florida I'll be glad to sell you. It's not happening. These fusion centers are taking our information, and they are maintaining that information, and they are using that to monitor us, to monitor our ownership of firearms, and eventually they want to use it to disarm the American people. And that's not the only thing they're doing. And we'll talk more after our final break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. What the federal government ought to be doing is rather than monitoring the people in this country who own firearms, is they ought to be monitoring and closing our southern border. They ought to be watching for terrorists coming in from our southern But they're not doing that. And, you know, this, this Ebola crisis, which is, going, which is going on, I'm finding that very, very interesting. It's very scary. But we have some state gov- governors stepping forward and saying, okay, we're going to isolate or at least quarantine. They backed off some of the isolation. We're going to quarantine health care workers coming in from Western West Africa, where they've been in contact with the Ebola virus. It's reasonable to do that, to protect other people, particularly since the doctor in New York, who recently was, was found to have the virus, had come back from treating people in Western Africa, in Liberia, and was supposed to be self-quarantined. And instead of staying at home for 21 days and monitoring his fever and uh, his health, he went, caught the subway, rode the subway around, went to restaurants, went out to eat, uh, went bowling, uh, just like a reporter who was supposed to be self-monitoring, an NBC reporter who had been exposed to Ebola Live, and a cameraman working for her uh, had, had, had it. she and her team come back, and they're going to supposedly be self-quarantined, and they're going out picking up food or fast food restaurants. So there's people violating the quarantine. So governors have stepped in to enforce it in their states. I understand Bobby Jindal in Louisiana is the latest one. And you got both Democrats and Republicans coming in to do it. But what's the federal government doing? Why haven't they stopped people from flying in from these West African countries where Ebola is running rampant? Why are they allowing people in? It doesn't really matter if they stop them at the airports. It doesn't matter if they check them at the airports to see if they got fever. Because we have them coming in across our southern border where there's no monitoring, there's no checking health checks. We have no idea how many are crossing our border every day. We have no idea how many of them may be what we call the intelligence community starting to call Ebola human bombs. 
Think about this. Jihadist from Somalia, from Yemen, from Iraq, from Iran, from Syria. They let themselves be infected with Ebola. They said they're being a suicide bomber. They're being a suicide carrier. They come across the border while they're still showing very little signs or symptoms of the virus itself. And they start infecting people. They bring some of their blood in vials to scatter around in public places. They start deliberately affecting people in this country. We're not going to know about it until it's too late. They can infect scores of people, who in turn will affect scores of more people. We quickly, we'll quickly have something out of control. But it doesn't have to be deliberate. We are not monitoring who's coming across our border. Texas sheriffs, for example, are being told that they can't detain anybody for a long period of time. They can't deport them. They can detain them long enough to feed them, to give them some clothes, and to get them a notice to appear in federal court, immigration court, which is probably scheduled for two years down the road. And, by the way, anybody on goes out, off a computer and forge a signature on it. They had a notice to appear, and then they're put on an airplane or a bus. If they're being put on a plane, TSA has been told they don't have to have a picture ID like American citizens have to have or anybody else has to have. They just can get put on a plane anywhere they want to go. So we potentially have people coming in with Ebola who are being sent around the country. If they come in complaining of symptoms, they may be treated, they may not be treated. But we have the virus, which is hitting our children. Now, it's in 46 states at last count. A nasty virus is hitting our children, which, by the way, was, remember how it was downplayed at the beginning? Oh, well, this is a virus that hadn't been in this country for, you know, since the 1960s, for 40 or 50 years. It's prevalent in South America, but it's not real serious. It, you know, it's not never fatal. It, it runs its course after a few days, and the child is healthy again. It affects children between six months and 16 years. Well, now we're being shown that that is another lie perpetrated by the federal government on the American people. We have children, this happened right here in Texas, children who are getting paralyzed as a result of this virus, which apparently is very similar to polio. They're being paralyzed, possibly permanently, by this virus. We've had at least two reported deaths now around the country. And this thing is totally out of control. Yet, we're getting a new surge now on our southern border. A new surge because the weather now is cooling down, so they're not having to cross the border in the extreme heat. A new surge of children from these countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, coming in. You can be assured that we're also getting a new surge of people from Somalia, Iraq, Iran, all of the, the nations where terrorism is, is rampant. 
We know for a fact that we have ISIS cells operating on our border in Texas, right across the border from El Paso, Texas, right across the border from Fort Bliss, our second largest military installation in the United States. There are ISIS cells operating. They are preparing to attack us. They are preparing to attack our soldiers, our civilians. They're preparing to try to do us in, if at all possible. Nothing is being done on our southern border. So, you know, we're not trying to stop Ebola from coming into this country. The steps that are being taken are totally cosmetic, like Obama appointing an Ebola czar. Yay, another czar. That's what we need. He appoints him, and then it disappears. Asked to come up here before the Congressional Committee to find out what he's going to do. He's a no-show. Sitting near the president in a White House press conference, photo shoot, Obama never acknowledges his existence, never mentions his name. Never ask him to uh, ask him to say anything. So this is a farce. This is another cosmetic dressing by Obama, probably because the election, midterm elections are just a few days away, to try to help save control of the Senate by the Democrats. This is another cosmetic action. <laughs> Excuse me, the American people are not buying it. They're seeing right through what Obama's doing. And what he's doing is nothing. Or maybe he is doing something. Maybe what he's doing is proactive. You know, I've, I've never been a big conspiracy theorist. But the fact of the matter is, you're not being paranoid. They really are out to get you. I think Obama is intent on destroying the United States of America. He hates this country. He hates our military. He's shown that repeatedly. He's going to destroy this country if he can. He's tried to destroy it economically already. He's weakened our military to the point where we are very vulnerable to attack. We're looking at a major disaster coming up. Again, if you want to keep up with what's going on, Go to my website at www.michaelconnolly.jigsy.com, and you can read my blog. You can find out about me. You can find out how to order my books. And, by the way, my uh, book of the morning about my dad's unit in World War II and my novel, Amigalia, A Story of America, are both still selling very, very well as e-books and as uh, paperbacks. And these are ideal Christmas presents, also my book, uh, you can order through my website about the uh, Philmont Scout Ranch. Those stories there. Uh, the Scouts love it. Uh, the campfire stories are, are a delight to them. You can order copies of that. I'll be glad to autograph them for you. Uh, let me know how you want it made out. You can also order copies of my booklet, and you can see the blog and see what I'm, I have to say and what I'm keeping up with. We also need your financials at USJFnet. That's the United States Justice Foundation. You can go there and find out how to make a donation. So please, step up and be safe. Watch yourselves. 
in the coming weeks uh, because it's going to be tough out there, folks. But we are Americans. We can persevere. Thank you for listening to me. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.